not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, brought to you by Beyond Zero Emissions, a climate solutions think tank. My name is Anthony Daniel, and joining me today are two gentlemen from the startup Sunverge. We have Ken Munson, the co-founder and CEO of the company, and Phil Kogan, the general manager of Australia and New Zealand, and they're both joining me live in the studio today. Okay, gentlemen, how are you doing? Great. Good. Good, yeah. good, good to meet you. Pleasure to be here. Likewise, great to have you, and it's great to see some some really fantastic companies doing some innovative stuff in the energy space. We talk a lot about market design and where things are going with these new technologies, and what's always talked about is how software is going to transform this whole sector and how it's going to fill those gaps between these supplies that are maybe not as reliable as people think they should be, and of course, people's demands as being energy users. And you guys very much fall right in that sweet spot, which we're going to, we're excited about talking about today. So maybe it'd be great to get started, maybe from you, Ken, on the history of the organization, how you got started, and how long you've been going in this racket. Yeah, so thank you. Um, So we founded back in circa 2008, 2009. We're a California-based company out of the Silicon Valley, more specifically out of San Francisco, with factory operations in Stockton, which is a small suburb community of uh, San Francisco, about an hour and a half out. Yeah, my uh, partner and I, Dean Sanders, got together. I'm a former private equity guy building markets in Europe and Asia and and, uh, saw an interesting trend in infrastructure uh, and infrastructure development and wanted desperately to get into utility. And my partner, actually, Dean, came from the utility manufacturing environment and currently runs a, uh, a company that uh, manufactures medium voltage switchgear for the distribution grid and distribution automation equipment. Between the two of us, we saw some interesting opportunities that were emerging back in late 2008, 2009, where a lot of our customers at that time were looking at uh, how to integrate renewables onto the grid, what they were going to do if the continued uptake of, in specific, solar uh, was to continue. That would continue to drive some real operational issues that the distribution utilities would be faced with managing. And so we thought it was very interesting to take a look at that. We knew a little bit about switchgear from our 17-year history. We knew a little bit about distribution automation. And and what we evolved to really try to understand was what would happen if you were able to take a renewable source, which is historically uh, variable in its power, solar, couple it with a battery technology, so that you could time shift and load shift that power, as well as take away the intermittency or the variability of that power, and then wrap around that a software layer that would allow for a very granular level of command and control of that system in real time. And so if you could do that, the theory would be that you would be able to take a non-dispatchable renewable resource like PV, and make it dispatchable, meaning that you could control it. You could derate it, you could increase, you could time shift, and you would be able to do that in the interest of multiple stakeholders on the grid. And those stakeholders, really, we looked at, we felt like it was very important to address not only the grid operator, which in the U.S. is either a municipally owned or publicly owned or investor-owned utility or co-op, 
or like in Australia, a DNSP or a network service provider, a distribution network service provider, or a retailer or some other form of grid operator. We felt like it needed to be a win-win. You've often heard about the utility death spiral where there's a defection of load and because of the investment in assets over time, the utility will not be able to supply affordable power. We actually believe that you can create a technology that if placed on the edge of the grid could actually reverse that trend. And so we set out to basically build a technology that resided on the demand side of the meter, which is essentially at the place of residence or a place of business, and allow for the consumer to receive bill reduction and improved reliability and improved power quality, while at the same time allowing the grid operator to have that power dispatchable to serve ancillary services of whatever nature were necessary to them, such as peak shave and load shave. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, Ken. Yeah, You've gone, to, gone over a lot of stuff. And, you know, yes, our listeners are very aware of the death spiral, what that means. The very fact that energy prices are going up means more people are going to be interested in something like solar panels to, to give certainty to their energy bills, which then, you know, makes the, the, the that whole spiral go further and further and quicker and quicker, which is which is obviously quite a distressing thing for those who have to manage it and think about the future of the grid. You obviously had incredible vision and perhaps were in the you know, right place at the right time in some ways to understand these implications as early as you did. There's something that's become very obvious to, I guess, to a lot of utilities and people interested in energy really only in the past few years. And really it's only taken being taken seriously when the, the costs of these of these technologies have come down so significantly. But there is those two shoes, isn't there? There is the solar panel, which we has, has experienced quite a bit of reduction. But then there's also the, the storage side, which is something that has probably not seen as much reduction and is not something that obviously people like consumers are buying in any real volume yet. Why are both of those technologies so important to be, to be able to shift us away from fossil fuels? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. Addressing first your cost issue, I think that there's a confluence of issues that are occurring in the marketplace where if you look at what's happening with electric vehicles in the market, there's an increased awareness and there's an increased reliability in the technology itself, um, resulting in longer ranges and less range anxiety, if you will, which is driving increased uh, demand in the market. Well, those electric vehicles have lithium-ion battery. That's one kind of macroeconomic scenario among a number of scenarios that are playing out that are driving increased capacity in the market. So more battery manufacturers jumping into the base, which is increasing the amount of capacity available and driving costs down. So I think that's one thing that the renewables industry can begin to take advantage of. And I think you saw the same trend occur in photovoltaic space as well, where as consumer uptake began to increase on rooftop solar as well as grid scale, you saw prices precipitously drop. And I think battery and balance of system, as importantly, are falling at that same rate or maybe even a more accelerated rate than what PV did a few years ago. If you add to that the increase in ubiquity around cloud layer uh, mm -hmm. software, you then are able to put those two together and do new things with those applications that weren't available before, which drive further economies, such as the command and control and dispatchability. Right. Okay, before we get into a bit more detail on the offering, maybe I'll bring you into the conversation, uh, Phil, and talk about your involvement firstly in the organization, how you first got, got started with, your, with the company and uh, how you've seen the prospects here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been with the company for about uh, just coming up to a year. Prior to that, 
I was uh, one of the executives at Ergon Energy, and uh, part of my accountabilities was looking at alternative investment options other than capital investment in the network. And I know I think you had Ian McLeod, um, yep, spoke to who's him. Uh, my old boss. So we have been very, at the time of Ergon, forward thinking in terms of looking for opportunities for what we call non-network alternatives. So demand management, demand response. And so I was personally very interested in that technology and having met Ken through one of the uh, Series B investors and understanding the platform and the vision and the capability, uh, to me it just made a lot of sense um, that uh, we were able to bring this technology and actually integrate a number of value streams across the energy industry. Um, rather than kind of continuing this story around the death spiral and everybody going off grid. In fact, there's a there's another path uh, which actually embraces... A third way, perhaps. A third way, if right. you will. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but thank yeah, you. Yeah. Been, we don't quote Tony Blair enough on this show. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, so from my point of view, I thought that was uh, absolutely the way to go and uh, jumped in with uh, both feet. Okay, fantastic. And Matt, that might be a good opportunity just to, just to touch on that, where... Everybody who, who looks at this issue sees a natural opposition going on, a very adversarial way. And, but but we, we really are trapped just by our market design, aren't we, where the incentives are in place and the, and the current structure is in place to perhaps not produce this kind of well, – the opportunity for this, this kind of win-win scenario. Can you maybe give us a bit of the, the issues you faced when you were at Ergon on what were the natural tensions preventing something like this from, from being explored as fully as you'd like it to? Yeah, I mean, I can talk for Ergon or talk more generally um, yeah. in terms of in terms of the industry and the challenges that the industry is facing. But what we see is using technology is an opportunity to address those challenges, and in fact, you know, re-aggregate in in some way the the energy value chain. So certainly, trying to identify the benefit streams and how do we identify, how do we codify, how do we quantify the various value streams that exist between both the consumer, the retailer and the distributor. And that's always a challenge. There's always challenges in terms of the regulatory framework as well and the policy framework that we operate within. But certainly, you know, through the last year and in the conversations I'm having with all the players within the industry, there is an opportunity to bring some harmonisation, leveraging innovation, leveraging a software platform and this technology to provide benefits to the end customer, which is the most important thing, allow them to participate more fully in you know, renewable generation, local generation, control of their energy consumption. But at the same time, acknowledging the value of the grid in, in creating that mm. and being able to provide solutions and services back to the grid uh, where they're struggling with high penetration of PV, being able to manage power quality, being able to manage peaks uh, so we can move away from that high capital investment mode that we've experienced in the last you know, five, ten years. And also bring the, the retailer into the middle of that, both in terms of um, working with the customer, working with the grid, but through the, the aggregation capability of the software platform, uh, leverage what we call a virtual power plant and then start to look at opportunities in the energy markets and ancillary markets. So whilst there's a lot of challenges, what impressed me and, and moved me to join the company, if you will, uh, is the fact that there is a technology platform that can address that and respond to that. But let's address the very specific thing about most Australian uh, energy utilities right now are paid, well, uh, justify investments based on where they expect demand to, to go. And that would, you know, of course, previously have been thought of as going up and up and up. 
and then they would get paid based on a on a, a portion of of all energy used. So how is that real core tension addressed when you're saying, well, you, you have to manage reliability, but also you're getting paid by you know t- total volume of energy going through the system. How, how do you, how does that mindset get challenged? Well, the regulators certainly challenging that mindset. <laughs> right. I'm sure you're aware of that. Um, so there's been a number of um, uh, regulatory responses to um, submissions by the distributors and certainly a, a position to uh, reduce proposed cost and investment um, both from a capital and operational cost perspective. Um, so that creates uh, an immediate tension um, within the distribution businesses in terms of, well, how do we respond to that? Uh, how do we continue to provide um, you know, high-quality, reliable services in a capital-constrained environment? Mm. And the way to do that, and, and, and Ergon's a very good example of this, is to put market signals out there, so time-of-use pricing, mm. to encourage customers to use energy efficiency, demand management, demand response services, and in fact invest in the network, in inverted commas, behind the meter as well as the actual core grid. So certainly, again, in, in our conversations, we're seeing quite a fundamental shift in how the traditional model is playing out. I think the other area is, is you know, this question of the death spiral. Um, and I think it's acknowledged that, you know, ongoing investment in the network is going to continue uh, to increase prices, um, and the the networks are very conscious of that, and they know they've got to continue to drive efficiency in their system to um, maintain their their relevance and their value. Fantastic! You're on the Beyond Zero show, and we're speaking to Ken Munson and Phil Cogan from Sunverge, and and uh, maybe I'll bring it back to you, Ken, and. Uh, maybe just before we talk too much about your offering, and I want to get to that very, very quickly. I mean, the software itself and and the how you design it. One of the key inputs seems to have been, "Hey, this is what we know about the system now. When it's not a greenfield, well, I'm not inv- I'm not inventing a smartphone for the first time and can do whatever I like with anything." I've got to understand that there are players now that have their interests at heart. There are regulatory situations. How much has from the beginning of your software development, has these market realities formed part of how you've designed the the product offering? Yeah, so they were foundational. I mean, from the start, not that we had any crystal ball or any great vision about what the future would hold. We, We knew that the problem was going to be unpacked in many different ways. And so what we tried to accomplish was to design a, a platform, a solution that could be manipulated, right, that could be uh, used in a manner that was custom um, in the way without customization, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. in a way that a, at a retailer might want to use it to serve its customers as opposed to uh, a, uh, a network service provider or as opposed to an IOU that was had the full stack of services in the U.S. And so, yes, absolutely, the the real innovation, frankly, um, you know, we, we we're pretty proud of the, the hardware stack. We're pretty proud of the firmware stack. We're very proud of our software stack. But in reality, the real innovation comes in the business model. And mm-hmm. the business model is really what's driving the precipice of change today. And historically, whomever the stakeholder was in the energy supply chain did not have the platform from which to innovate their business model. Today they do, and that's one of the things why I think Sunverge has begun to gain market traction, is people can now design a program, 
a solution long-term that's not only future-proof, but solves their needs today the way they want them solved. Okay, so let's go into a bit of depth on how how your solution finds its way to the market, both in who you engage with first, and what what opportunities or, or you know features they can take advantage of, and then what an end consumer might see, like what would then be offered to them in, in turn. Yeah, so the first path to market, well, maybe it'll help serve the interest of your listeners to suggest we, we serve three primary markets, right? We serve a utility or a grid operator market. Yep. Um, we then serve the channel. Um, so this is typically how PV is delivered to the market via a first solar or a Sunrun or a Sungevity type entity. Yep. And then we also serve independent power producers or aggregators or uh, developers that are, have large portfolios of property that they want to aggregate um, for some benefit, whether it be under a traditional PPA structure or under some net zero energy home offering. So back to the first and primary segment, the, the grid operator. We first approach the grid operator and, and serve the consumer through the utility. That's our primary mission. That's where we think the long-term play for the market is going to end up. We believe that the grid serves a social good and that ultimately reliability, performance, and safety can best be served via that entity. Secondly, well, then those customers of the utility, the, what they see is very much a reflection on the business model innovation that we just spoke to and what that entity wants and how, that, well, I should say, wants them to participate in, right? So each program is different. Mm -hmm. Each consumer in program is different. It depends on how the utility owns the asset, deploys the asset, and uses the asset, the asset being Sun versus. And, and it could mean that the end user may have just solar or solar and storage or just storage? Could they be any combination of yeah, those? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the beauty of it, right? Because um, our system is not just PV, right? And it's not just storage. It actually is, when I talk about a platform, when on the demand side of the meter, so on at the place of residence or place of business, what we're really enabling is the connected home, right? All the devices that could be within the home or business, whether that be EV charging, plug load device, smart appliances, or the programmable thermostat. And we think that that's the sustainable way in which consumers want to engage with energy-related technologies. Yep. And frankly, that's the innovation that a lot of uh, utility entities or grid operators are now bringing to their customers, right? Is this new relationship, this bi-directional uh, relationship that now exists where feedback from the customer and what they want is as important as the load in which they're trying to serve. Additionally, on the network side, sustainability to us means that the grid operator needs to be able to use our platform in a way that capacity may be of most value to them today, but long term it may be uh, supporting voltage sag on a remote circuit, right? And so the way in which that entire program comes together is very different, I guess. Yeah. And how do you manage even like the short term uh, tension there where I've got a, an EV and it's currently acting almost as an asset or a resource for your system to work in that virtual pool of energy that could service my neighbor or someone down in order to provide that reliability to the network. How do you not, How do I know that you're not gonna drain my battery and I can't go drive to my friend's house later on that night? 
Right. And so that's very much the, the uh, decision of whoever owns that asset, which is really the most important question, right? Yeah. Um, if the utility owns that asset or the grid operator, they're going to have certain rules around how that asset's going to be engaged and deployed. And so the, as part of the offering, they may have installed this battery in your home. and yeah, Exactly. And they, may, they may charge you a fee. They may give it to you for free. They may allow for uh, the consumer, the end user, to uh, design uh, new ways in which they engage with it. They may not. I mean, it, it, it's completely flexible. Right. Okay. That works really well. I'd be interested to know, maybe either of you could, could assist with this, is that how, while you obviously see the grid as being very important to how this operates, that you've got all these resources and if everyone went off the grid, they're, all, they're almost acting like a bit of end of days where everyone's you know, hoarding their own energy and, and not sharing it when there could be real benefits with, it, with their energy all across the grid. But how does this potentially change the nature of the grid going forward? Because it, right now it's a very it's a very funnel based field, isn't it? It's like, or you, you, maybe we sh- we are, we've started down the path. So maybe five ten years ago would be a better comparison. It's produced at the nodes. It's it's pre- sent down these this funnel, and then it goes to some you know low capacity wire that comes into my house so I can consume. But when it's moving bi-directional and there is a lot of this going on and there's storage and generation going on locally, how would this change the physical structure of the grid? Could we see the, the pipes being fatter or thinner at, at different parts of it? And how would, this, how would this potentially affect future investment for a company like Ergon? Good question. I think in any number of ways, this could impact how the grid functions and operates. I was at a, a presentation a couple of weeks ago, and one of the CEs of the distribution companies referred to the grid as becoming the new internet of energy, which I thought was a pretty decent conceptual model right. for you know where this is going. So from the more traditional centralized generation, one directional, this becomes a much more transactional distributed, involving environment where whole new business models will actually get created and it'll become a far more dynamic place to... uh, So could you see it sort of being similar to the internet in a sense? There are still backbones. There are still parts of the internet where large pieces of information are flowing back and forth. So you could see that still being the case. Because, I mean, where an information network is very different is that things are happening on both ends of it. You know, energy is energy. If I'm producing it and using it locally, I don't need the grid at all, which is part of the reason why people think we should get rid of it entirely. Um, so there is fundamental differences between a communications network and a, and a electricity network. But how do you see that maybe, you know, shaking out? Yeah, I think the... Uh, I, I want to respond back to uh, just because you produce it locally and use it locally, the grid is not necessary. Right. You have to look at, we believe, you have to look at the economics of that, right? And to provide the level of reliability, and even in some of the worst grids around the world, reliability still is in the three, four, five nines type of category, right? 99.9999. And the minute that you look at going completely off grid, I think you have to consider the economics within the framework of that reliability. And so for Sunverge, that's why we foundationally believe being connected to the grid and then being an enabling factor for this new bi-directional flow of both information and energy becomes so important, right? Um, So at both levels, right, it's not just taking and generating from a centralized point of view and pushing load down. Now you have distributed generation, right, that's serving demand side of the meter and can also serve capacitance as an example or peak shave or any of the other ancillary service offers back onto the grid. That's a very transactional 
type of relationship. It's a very bi-directional, very dynamic relationship. And the more points of generation, the more points of use that are added, well, you do a couple of things. One, you increase the reliability. If you have this transactional flow, it operates under the same framework that computer networks do, right? If you have 100 points of 100 nodes on the network and one goes down, well, that's one 100th if yep. you have one, right? So I think the relationship of how the grid changes uh, over time as it becomes this internet of energy, if you will, it becomes more distributed. It becomes more, more intelligence is pushed out. But at the same time, your more intelligence is also centralized as well because now you've moved from small amounts of knowledge of what's at the edge of the grid to very large amounts of knowledge uh, centrally located for what's happening at the edge of the grid and vice versa. Great. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for giving us your your thoughts on that, on a topic that I'm sure everyone's got some kind of opinion on, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. We've only got a few minutes left uh, together, but maybe I could end this by talking a bit about um, the opportunities for Sunverge here in Australia and New Zealand. And firstly, Phil, why would uh, this region be ripe for the picking for this kind of thing to 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 really make uh, make tracks where it wouldn't in other parts of the world? Australia's got some unique features. It's got a lot of sunshine, and that's coming from an Englishman who hasn't seen a lot of sunshine, So, uh, and high degree of PV penetration. So that creates in itself issues on the grid, which is looking for a solution. So that's point number one, very high levels of uh, PV penetration. There has been significant investment in the infrastructure over the last you know, 5, 10, 15 years, and we have seen a continued increase in um, energy prices uh, which is, again, a second key feature of the Australian um, New Zealand market. And I think that with a capital-constrained environment uh, is starting to really drive people to think about, well, how, how are we going to continue to maintain, uh, drive and operate um, this energy system? Um, and all of those components um, help kind of drive people to think about uh, more distributed resources, more distributed storage. Fantastic. And and can you speak any specifically? I know that you have worked with Vector Energy in New Zealand. Can you either of you speak about just how that how that's going? We spoke to the CEO last year, and they they were very encouraged by by its progress. Um, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, so uh, Vector is uh, very forward-thinking, and we're very fortunate to have them as such good partners. They've really taken a big step forward in driving a new way to an interact with uh, their consumers, and we're glad to be part of that. Okay, great. And, and I guess a lot of us people in Australia be following their lead and thinking about how um, that model could work. You, you were speaking early, earlier, Phil, about the Shadow Energy Minister in New South Wales who is excited about that model. Yeah, no, I just uh, read in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, this morning he was putting up the Vector model as a potential scenario to privatisation where it was a customer-owned utility that was... Uh, investing in alternative energy and technology to uh, help support uh, customers' use of energy systems. So I just, it was quite interesting that uh, Vector was raised uh, as, as a, you know, a quality case study in, in how it could be done uh, in terms of embracing this transformation and this change in the energy sector. 
Okay, well then that's a very positive place to leave it. So thanks very much for both of you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you've been listening to Beyond Zero Show brought to you by Climate Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions. I've been joined by Phil and Ken from Sunverge Energy. There seems to be all these new combinations. You, what you do is you get the name, the name Sun or Solar and then put something <laughs> optimistic next to it and you get a name. I've got to think about one of my own one day. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.